0: This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Uh, Hi and welcome to Bob Muir who's joining us on the podcast today. Thanks Andy, good to be here. Absolutely, Um, yeah always strange always doing these things virtually but uh, we will will get going on some questions and hopefully explore uh, the the, well, the breadth of the work uh, that you've been doing over the past many years in, in coach developer world. And I wonder, just as a start point, um, can you just give us a bit of an overview of your coach developer journey to date? Um, yeah, happy to. Um, I suppose
1: the backstory really was my interest in uh, sport coaching and as a basketball coach for um, 21 uh, consecutive seasons. Um, with men's National League teams. Um, I took on a a job at Leeds Beckett University um, as a senior lecturer in sport coaching in 2005. And at that time, I was really interested in doing a PhD uh, to try and kind of capture and define what coaching effectiveness was. Um, That PhD took me 10 years, and that's maybe because the, the brief I gave myself was a stretching and challenging one. And so along the way in doing that work, <clears throat> in um, I was really keen to explore um, how different coaches in different sports go about doing their work and to explore what works for them and their athletes in, in what circumstances um, and try and get under the bonnet and work out why those strategies might work in some situations and not others. So I suppose that was where it began and was really more from a perspective of trying to explore coaching practice to deepen my own knowledge, understanding, and ideas that I could bring into my own coaching with uh, basketball players on the court. Um, and then along the way, it, it became more and more apparent that actually just being around coaches was a really useful resource that coaches really value um, um, having the opportunity to share their thoughts, reflections to reason through their ideas with another, another coming in from an outside sport from out of their context. And so um, so I suppose it, it it was something that I kind of gradually moved into and um, in 2005 when I arrived at Leeds Beckett University or what was Leeds Met, um, my focus was very much on um, our undergraduate course and then we were developing an MSc in sport coaching um, and uh, new colleagues started to arrive so um, a whole number of people um, started to join the team and um and so really through that work we started to um of course that influenced the way i thought about sport coaching because i started to interact with people like chris cushion and andy abraham and john lyle um and gareth morgan and then more latterly um, people like julian north arrived and sergio and dave Pickett. And so if you like in many respects some of my ideas were starting to really change because of um the opportunity to interact with those guys but also um in setting out to try and capture and explore what is coaching effectiveness, um, I suddenly became really frustrated um, with uh, the role that I was putting myself in as as somebody that was there to just capture, to observe, uh, to notice things, to listen, um, to record, almost as a researcher, separating myself from the environment. And I I started to find myself being more and more sucked in um, by the coaching team. Um, And... um, And so it kind of started to really just emerge from there. And that would have been 2007, 2008. Um, And again, around that time, I was starting to explore the use of. uh, So using radio mics and video camera, how could we capture coaches practice, capture it to describe it, capture it, to explore it, capture it, to say something about coaching effectiveness or coaching expertise. But It became really apparent to me and colleagues that I was working with at the time that um, when we just focus on the behavioral actions of a coach, it really um, it's only a very much a partial account of what's going on here. And it's only a really um, um, and therefore it's it doesn't really give us a a real grasp of the coaching process and the relationships that coaches develop with athletes and others within their environment. So. um, So, yeah, not a very. Um, simple answer to your question. Um, I kind of, um, it kind of, I moved, I found myself starting to do coach development work um, rather than uh, in, in a kind of informal way, rather than the formal way. And I suppose the first formal opportunity I had was uh, actually to work alongside yourself and some of the other national age group coaches with England hockey. <clears throat> and I think that would have been around 2009 um, the year prior to that i spent a team uh, a year with a super league rugby league uh, super league team um working alongside um some coaches in that particular mm-hmm. club again the purpose of that was more for a phd study to explore coaching practice but as i worked through that process it became more more apparent to me that i was i wasn't i wasn't comfortable standing behind the camera um and not um not offering or not supporting or not being a resource that coaches might be able to draw on.
0: And just listening, I mean, this is a very similar description in terms of um, the journey that quite a few of the others that we've interviewed and we've been part of the podcast, how, how they found their way into um, doing coach developer work. It hasn't necessarily been a, a linear pathway or a, or a predicted pathway. It's just, you know, they've moved into it. Um, Through uh, through the different experiences they've had across their coaching journey, Um, so I think it's just just useful to share how people have navigated that and how they found their way to to where they are now. Um, I mean, as you started to explain, you know, moving away from behind the camera to involve engaging with coaches more and engaging in discussions with coaches more, it it starts to bring to mind the. the models and the thinking tools that you have created as as part of your work and part of your research. Um and one that people may well have heard of or a bit have become accustomed to is that the not so diamond model that you have created. And I wonder if you would firstly sort of describe what that is, but also the first part of that story is probably just um describing how it was created, where that came from, um, because I think that's a nice it's a nice story to tell. Yeah, okay. Um, so it was a,
1: it's a kind of um, a combination of a number of things, really. we um, At the time on the undergraduate degree, we were um, supporting students to um, reflect on their coaching behaviour in particular. And um, to what extent did their behaviour match, uh, reflect their, their intentions? So what was the relationship between what they set out to do uh, and what they actually do? um and so of course that relates to some other work that I was involved in with um Chris Cushion and Steve Harvey the the idea of the coach analysis intervention system so really looking at coaches behavior in quite a systematic manner of course at that time we'd started to um undertake in-depth interviews as well um but to my mind as a coach um I was really mindful that there are effectively two things that we work with. There's there's kind of the the way we shape the experience for the learner, so the task, and the way we behave. Uh, those are the kind of paintbrushes that we seek to t- kind of um, paint the canvas with, or or there are the two tools that we can try and use to um, engage athletes and support their learning with. And so, um, I suppose that. Where did it formally come about? In part, it was a a concept or an idea that I was starting to share with our undergraduate students at the time um, as a kind of pedagogical tool within our undergraduate degree. But then um, I think I was asked to join. We were part of a a project called the UK Centre for Coaching Excellence, which was a partnership between um, Sports Coach UK, now UK coaching, obviously, um, and our university at the time. And I was seconded, uh, along with a couple of other colleagues, to do some work, um, some scoping work, really, to try and define level fourness in coaching and uh, identify some markers of effectiveness and expertise. And I got asked to uh, go to a meeting on a Sunday morning um, with Renault Nissan Consulting. It was uh, kind of uh, a collection of people that Graham Moore at the time was uh, leading that initiative and Gordon Lord was invited down, John Neal was there, and, and the guy that is responsible for HR and, and people development for Renault and his own consulting and I was asked to join that group on the Sunday and offer an overview of how we might go about evaluating coaches performance so how might we start to um, I suppose explore coaching effectiveness and so um, I think as I've mentioned to you in, in the past that I'd spent some time Saturday morning coming up sketching out some ideas on paper based on my experiences both as a coach and coach educator within the university um, and effectively came up with a, a diagram which was the essence of the diagram was really that coaches structure tasks and they exhibit behaviors so on the left hand side we've got the learning activity or the practice structure and on the right hand side we've got coach behavior and then if we think of it as a bit of a diamond shape at the top we've got The learner, the athlete, the participant and their engagement in the task and and their engagement with your behaviour as a coach. And at the bottom of the diamond, we've got the intended objectives, the goals. Beneath that, then, um, I was mindful of the journey. So any coaching episode, moment of interaction between coach and athlete, whether that's um, on the track, in the pool, um, on the pitch, That's located within a broader kind of journey. You know, there's a, there's, there's you're building on something, and so um, at the bottom of the diagram was just um, effectively a line saying, you know, these are the goals on the left-hand side, and these are the outcomes on the right-hand side, and at whatever point in time we're engaging in a training session or a competition event, uh, we've got some objectives that we're working towards but they're located or nested within that broader developmental journey between the coach and the athletes within that particular context. And then I had a couple of drop-down things at either side. And, and really the drop-down things um, were about what meaning did the athlete attach to the experience of the session and what meaning did the coach attach to their experience of the session. So if you imagine walking off the pitch, in your case in hockey, at the end of the session, um, before the session began, we had a sense of what the intended objectives were, what we set out to achieve. We've got a sense of what the kind of uh, training activities were going to be, or the practices you were going to use. We've got a sense of the kind of behavioural strategies you might use before, during and after those practice activities to support the athlete's engagement in those tasks to make progress towards the intended objectives. But of course, importantly, though, when we come off um, the pitch, I was really interested to start to provoke coaches to think about the meaning that their athletes attached to that experience. And much of learning is about making meaning in context. So, and then I was interested in to what extent did those two sets of meanings align? You know, were they coherent? So did the athlete leave the session um, thinking, feeling one set of, about one set of ideas and the coach thinking, feeling? with another set of ideas so um, anyway this is a very short story uh, told quite long now but it was when I was asked the question of what, what's this diagram called at the meeting on Sunday morning it, uh, just outside of London I said it um, doesn't have a name um, but I suppose we could call it the Saturday morning diagram so it went from the Saturday morning diagram to then being called, then I thought I better give it a name so then I called it the coaching practice planning reflective framework why did I call it that because I was hopeful that as a framework as a concept or an idea it could be used as a stimulus or a scaffold for coaches thinking to support their reflection but then of course um, as I started to use it coupled with audio video um, as a stimulus for reflection it became really apparent that when we would start to unpack coaches experiences of sessions that had been captured using video and radio mics with the framework in mind that it started to raise lots of possibilities about how coaching might look different in the future. So of course it, it, it became a planning and reflective framework. Um, catch your title on know.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, and it doesn't even spell anything, you know, so that's that, well, no. missing a trick there. Clever acronym. I have
1: tried, but can't come up with one. Failed miserably. And so, of course, then people start to call it the diamond diagram. Um, but for those of you that um, that um, I've worked with and alongside and bounced off, um, will appreciate that over the years a number of iterations. So it's a it's shift. I've shifted the way in which I, I represent the idea now. So. it it is no longer a diagram which is why some people call it a not-so-diamond diagram and um, the reason the reasoning behind that shift in the way that I represent it as a visual concept is because um, the diamond shape had straight lines um, and it to my mind then it visually uh, depicted this idea that learning could be linear or structured or if you do this then that um, and that wasn't the intention Um, and was never intended to be a, if you like, a, a map. Um, you'll, you might remember Andy that I'll have shared a bunch of questions with you, um, for each of the four dimensions of the coaching practice planning and reflective framework. And those were questions that encouraged you and other coaches to reflect on your intentions and objectives and where did they come from and whose needs were they seeking to fulfill and what was the balance between technical, tactical, etc. Um, and then there were some questions around practice design and, and, and um, what was the balance between problem-setting, problem-solving, and um, or what was the balance between kind of game, um, more representative forms of, of training or practice uh, versus more kind of um, technical formwork. And then there's some questions about coach behavior in terms of uh, the strategies you might employ. And and subsequently, there were some questions around your expectations in relation to the, the learner's engagement or the player's engagement. Um, And of course, as soon as you get a bunch of kind of predetermined questions, if you like, drop down menus under each one of those four reference points, then there's real potential for people to think that it's kind of um, it's a map um, with a series of detailed directions that coaches ought to respond to or follow. Um, And that was never the intention. because what we recognize is that um, maps tend to be two dimensional and, and don't really represent the terrain of learning and development. And so, really, uh, more recent versions of the diagram—they're more of—they're less—they're not a diamond shape. Um, they're a bit more ovaly. <laughs> I've tried to use um, perforated lines uh, in the arrows because the the essence of the concept is the interdependency between what the coach does and what and the way that what the athlete does and the way that the two interact um and and what emerges between them. In terms of the task and behaviors engagement in relation to objectives um, so we in that sense we shouldn't really talk about coach behavior divorced from athlete behavior divorced from the context and what we're trying to achieve um, <clears throat> so more recent versions that people have seen there's probably a, um, a kind of uh, a compass in the middle and in that sense I would I would feel more comfortable if people Thought of it as a, a tool, um, a kind of navigational device that they can uh, use as a reference point to navigate the learning, the terrain of learning, really, rather than um, a set of um, prescriptive ideas that people ought to follow.
0: Yeah, and that, the the sort of the iterative process, how that's evolved, was sort of part of my net, what's going to be part of my next question around how has your practice changed and why. And I suppose we can still link to that question around. Uh, how is your use of that model as a thinking tool? Um, you know, you, you've mentioned, uh, I remember receiving that set of questions and, you know, directing my attention when I was reviewing the video around, well, well, what was I doing and how was that linked to what my what the structure of the practice of that particular time was. Um, can you just talk us through, how, you know, how, when you're working with coaches out in the field, how you might use it as a thinking tool and what sort of benefits it brings and how maybe that your use of, it and other things um has possibly evolved over over the last i mean when we talked 2009 maybe over the last 10 and you know the the last decade really yeah yes um i suppose um, i'm also
1: really conscious that um some of those questions are still really helpful um for some people Um, and and i guess one of the things that i remember from our first video review session together was the um the recognition that I mean, you brought this to our conversation, not me, it was the idea that it encouraged you to notice what other players who weren't involved in the interaction were doing when you might have been interacting with a small group of players. Um, and also I think one of the other things that, that stood out from our conversation in 2009 was about um, at what point do we intervene as coaches and what's the trigger for that Um and what's our threshold of expectation and when is that threshold breached and so if players are meaningfully engaging in in forms of practice and um what's the bandwidth that we're working with there um before we might pause practice or um and intervene either to offer feedback or ask a question or 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 demonstrate or provide some instruction um so we so in some respects the questions are really helpful and, I, and certainly for me if if you imagine that this was me just trying a project and actually should acknowledge Alan Olive here um who also at the time was seconded to UK sport and uh, you know I kept making noise to Alan um about the importance of using videos a stimulus for reflection and then he kind of said well okay then why don't you have a go and on that set up a project with the National Age Group coaches in hockey so it was really and that and that was part of something then that grew into something more than just the video review process that then grew into the coaching clubs that we would have once a month and where we would come and just share our reflections on our experiences and, and, and identify areas of interest or dilemmas and work those through together. So it became part of something that was what I would see to be more now coach development work, uh, whereas initially it started out almost as a pilot project to see how might we use video as a, as a stimulus to which reflection. Um, I know I'm not answering your question right now, but I think this is an important point to raise, which is the idea that if we if if you do just a, a cursory exploration of the coach learning development research literature, uh, much has been written um, about the importance of reflective practice and the importance of learning on the job. So. It's not unusual for people to make the claim that a lot of coaches learn to coach um, by coaching. So experience is really important in shaping their um, own personal resources, uh, their reasoning and then the way that that influences the way that they act um, and um, go about doing the work. And of course um, it's not unusual for um, people to then, or rather the research community has often spoken about the, the importance of reflective practice as a vehicle to harness that learning, but. I still feel like there's a real um, lack of um, support for coaches to harness the potential to learn through and from their everyday experiences. So on the one hand, we're saying that really learning on the job is the is the primary source of learning. but on the, And we're saying that reflective practice is a potential vehicle to harness that potential. But there's been a real absence of... Um, well, to my mind, there's been an absence of attempts to really support coaches to develop the capacity to notice things, to reflect in action, to reflect on action and to reflect for action, um, to draw on kind of Donald Sean's ideas. So I suppose, again, that the kind of um, coaching practice planning reflective framework, um,
2: as a as a thinking tool, um, I suppose I've I've
1: found it useful to support coaches to start to um, develop their capacity to reflect because um, I suppose in part that's based on the principle that um, we're more likely to reflect when we experience some level of uncertainty, puzzlement, surprise. Um, but that prob- that presupposes that we're, we notice that opportunity in the first place. So if you like, we notice a clash between our expectations and our experience of reality. So how do we heighten coaches or any practitioners um, opportunities to reflect? Well, it starts with supporting practitioners to be much clearer about what their intentions are um, and what their expectations are of others, um, which in turn um, supports them to become more attuned to noticing anomalies or leverage points or, things that aren't quite working out as they thought they would, um, which then gives people the opportunity to set that as an issue and, and respond in action. So, um, but coming, circling back to your question, um, I suppose um, one of the transitions for me simply was the idea that um, the coaching, practice, plan and reflect framework became um, less of the driving force to my work. So it was less about, in those early days, um, you know, travel to Lillyshaw, video from the side of the pitch, um, have a conversation, travel home, uh, burn the video footage onto a CD-ROM, put it in a jiffy bag, uh, along with a hard copy of the Coaching Practice plan and Reflective Framework and the questions, send it by post. And, you know, a week later, we would get together and have a coffee and, and go through things. So in that sense, it was kind of very much used as as the central feature of the work that we would have done. Uh, whereas now it's it's a concept that just sits alongside many other concepts that helps me to notice things um and so the way that I might use that particular concept now is is much more informal and it um and it's really an opportunity f- to ask coaches questions about what their intentions are ahead of the session um I might make some notes in my own notebook in relation to that um to maybe ask them in relation to those intentions so how does that inform the way that they're gonna run the session this evening of course i'm interested in the types of practices that they might be using Um, i might be interested to explore then um, what are their expectations about how players or athletes are going to engage in those activities practices types of training Um, and then you know what will i be seeing you do tonight during the session so if you like it's used more as um, a kind of a reference point for me um, but also it helps us contract pre pre session if, if it's an individual coaching session it helps us to start to establish a sense of uh, what is it I'm likely to be seeing tonight what is, what is it that you might be uh, seeking to explore or or work with your players or athletes on of course for some coaches that's um, that might be a provocation in and of itself because that might be a level of formal thinking in terms of their approach to the session that Uh, Otherwise, they might not do, um, uh, whereas for others, they might spend a tremendous amount of time formally thinking through their planning. Um, But again, circling back to your question, it's one of a number of concepts and ideas that I use now. And I see much of my work is really just about um, positioning myself or working alongside coaches, noticing things, um, listening with the intent to understand uh, rather than the intent to reply, um, and uh, providing a resource that coaches can bounce off. Um, and so, in the early stages of a relationship, it might be about um, really just seeking to explore something about the coach, how they frame their role within their context, what are the goals that they're working towards, um, how are those, how do those goals come to be shaped and influenced the way that they work? Um, always really interested to learn about the relationships that they have with their athletes, but also the relationships that they have with others and how those things shape and influence the way that they feel about their work and, and the way that that influences the way they go about doing their work. Um, and then at some point in that relationship, we'll, we'll probably get to a stage where we might want to do a bit of a deeper dive into their their actions and the behaviours in relation to their goals and so video can still be used as a really useful reference point or uh, to support coaches to notice a potential um, difference between what their intentions are and what their actions are and of course at that point then the coaching practice planning reflective framework is a useful tool because it's less about what do I see and what do you see and it's about let's sit alongside one another we've got some footage here and let's use this framework as a scaffold for our conversation and what do we notice about the relationship between objectives and how you how that's informed the way you've set up the activities for the athletes and of course as soon as we get into those conversations that starts to reveal something about our assumptions or if you like our resources that sit behind our strategies so I've set practice up like this in relation to these objectives, that starts to shine a light on some of my ideas about, lo- fundamental ideas about learners and learning or skill acquisition and practice design. And so in some respects, it's the video as a stimulus for reflection or using the coaching practice and reflective framework as a, as a navigational device to scaffold our reflective conversations um just helps us to start to open a window really on um our personal resources and how our personal resources our beliefs our values our background experiences uh shape and influence the way we think about our athletes the way we think about learning and the way we think about the coaching process so they're almost they create a point of entry um yeah
0: and you mentioned, you mentioned the word noticing probably two or three times in, in that really detailed description of of, of how you work um, and how that's evolved. Um, it, it isn't a question that I fired over to you beforehand, but I'm going to throw one in, a new one in, um, which, which won't test you, I don't think. But it's really just when you go in and observe a coach, the noticing process, you know, what, what are you looking at or what are you looking for? How what, How do you go about that, you know? you're looking at environment and context and relationships but what is what is your sort of thought processes when you're going into an environment what do you uh, how do you do that how can you bring to life that when you know when you're talking about noticing things what's the sort of skill that you employ there Um,
2: yes um, I'll try I'm not sure I'm not sure I would suppose you think of it as
1: a skill, I um to my mind it's, I suppose it's a recognition that there is no view from nowhere um, and so our own,
2: um, my own personal resources which are, uh,
1: if, if you like, is, is a way to describe my characteristics, my knowledge, my skills, my perspectives, my values, my beliefs, my biography, background. Um, so my resources really, really shape and influence, um, kind of the way I reason, reflect, um, and so in turn that shapes and influences what I attend to, what I privilege and prioritise, and and, and what I um, allow uh, put to one side or allow it to pass me by. And so for me, it's been really helpful that from the from the beginning of starting this work, uh, kind of one-to-one in-situ development work. Um, so working alongside individual coaches in their context. Um, it's been really helpful that at the same time I've been obviously traveling a journey through formal um education in terms of not just doing finishing my PhD, but also um teaching um on our undergraduate degree and teaching on our master's degree, and um and so all of these things have kind of um, really contributed to my own personal resources and my own ideas about the coaching process, coaching effectiveness, coaching expertise and ethical practice. And so if you like, I have developed a set of concepts and ideas um, in, in collaboration with many of my colleagues that I work with, um, both within the university and, um, and outside of the university, including people like yourself of course Andrew Giller I've worked with quite a lot over the last uh, six or seven years and so um, all of those things really are in play Um, if you like um, they're all things that uh, I arrive with (laughs) Um, um, and they're all things that then influence how I turn to the work of a coach developer and so um, but of course there are some um, so I've Spent a lot of time uh, working with uh, Julian North um, in uh, exploring the idea of coaching practice as an embedded relational and an emergent concept, which really encourages us to think about the relationship the relational um, aspect of coaching. So the relationships that coaches have with athletes and other staff, um, and the embedded nature of coaching as well. So how, how, what we do here and now is enabled and constrained, shaped and influenced by things that have gone by in the past or um, broader social, cultural, political um, dimensions of the environment we work in. Um, and then, of course, our undergraduate and postgraduate programmes are, have really been underpinned by some of the work that Andy, um, Gareth Morgan and I have been part of in um, offering the framework, you know, the six domains about understanding the athlete, understand sport, understand learning, Um, that those the who what how really come alive then in our and inform our process and practice as coaches Um, but that's also influenced by our beliefs and values and the context within which we operate within. so if you like there's a a couple of bigger frameworks that I um, that I use to to scaffold things that I notice and and to attend to things Um, but in essence
2: um, yeah I just try and Um, well I notice things through observation and I notice
1: things um, through more somatic data what does it feel like when you enter an environment for the first time Um, what are you noticing about the way in which people are interacting with one another Um, how does it make you feel so actually being uh, attuning to how you feel about being in the environment what do the energy levels feel like to my mind, those um, f- more formal kind of concepts or theories or frameworks um, provide a useful check and challenge for me. Um, and
2: sometimes when, um, because I, I think the challenge as I see it is um, it's impossible to escape our own kind of biases Um so for me, it's about
1: managing that, managing managing my own um, perspectives. Uh, and this would be one of the things I, th- I would hope has changed. But I think speaking to the coaches that I've spent time working with would be a better barometer of this than me, <laughs> Andy. But I would hope that <clears throat> I've become more sensitive um, and more attuned to the need to support coaches to see things for themselves And to support coaches in making sense of their experience and offering concepts, and ideas that that might help them to make sense or uh, consolidate or um, create new ways of thinking and acting and behaving. So in that sense. um, Yeah, I would like to think that any theories, concepts or frameworks that I might offer as thinking tools now really um, are in response to the questions or dilemmas or problems that that they've identified within their own practice in the spirit that we might learn best when problems come before solutions or or answers. Whereas probably in the earlier stages, I came in with a set of ideas about coaching practice. Um, And I probably then my sense is that I would have used those ideas as a bit of a crutch for me, not least because I would have felt really vulnerable at the time (laughs) about doing this kind of work with coaches. And so when it's not unusual I, from my experiences i don't find it unusual that if you feel vulnerable um, and uncertain and possibly even under threat that you would lean on or draw on those resources that you feel most comfortable with so you if you like the conversation becomes about the language and the vocabulary you use is privileges my ideas over yours and so that if you like just yeah there's a there's a power differential that starts to play out then in the relationship between developer and coach. Um, I would hope now that that isn't the experience of the coaches that I work with. And I would hope that they would describe a very different type of experience, one which kind of privileges their experience of their work and their, um, and their environment. And then one where I can provide some support um, and signposting or introduce ideas, frameworks that might help them formulate an understanding um and uh, elevate, elevate the kind of strategies and the reasoning that they employ with their athletes.
0: You've been describing there your, your own uncertainty and challenge and vulnerability at times. Um, and the question we we're going to come to next is how, how do you manage and support coaches uh, when we appreciate that some of the, the best learning opportunities might be in those moments of uncertainty? um and uh where something is disrupted in their thinking and there might be an element of challenge for them so how do you go about supporting them through that yes i think it's um
1: you know a few years ago i was excited about the idea that i might write a book called the disruptor <laughs> and i feel i feel ashamed to say that actually now <laughs> um But it's become, it seems to me that, um, because it's not a new idea, right? This goes back to some of the writings of John Dewey over 100 years ago. But actually, really, the ideas and the origins of the ideas go back hundreds of years. Um, I suppose Socratic questioning is a form of disruption. The idea that... um, the greatest opportunity for a shift, some people might describe that as transformative or substantive learning, emerges when our kind of world is interrupted or when we feel a sense of disruption. Um, and a, a, a really broad set of terms have been used within the learning and development literature, ranging from the idea of cognitive dissonance or disjuncture um, disharmony um but this idea of uncertainty or disruption uh, and absolutely in the work that i have done with coaches um i have i have generated disruptions and uncertainty
2: and i think at times um what i've always tried to do um is to support
1: coaches to see things for themselves so for those <clears throat> excuse me um for those disruptions to be generated from within um, for coaches to uh, notice a clash between their intentions and their actions and so video in that sense can be used as kind of a, it can be used as quite a powerful disruptive mechanism in that sense but disruptions aren't this coming back to the idea that writing a book called uh, you know the dis- a, a disruptor or experience of disruption as a as a mechanism for learning and development of course the problem with that is that um people just start to become disruptive and actually <laughs> or or misunderstood misinterpreted misrepresented the idea being that you just the job is then to go around and be disruptive and um, as andrew gillick <laughs> As often said there doesn't always need to be fireworks and so um, I suppose I'm I i recognize that um, disruptive experiences can create as Peter Jarvis has, has written the idea that um, disruptions can create a moment of potential for learning um, and so often the way that I think about our work now um, whether that be as a coach developer or just trying to help others learn and develop, whether
2: that be an undergraduate student or a a professional doing our postdoctorate, my sense is that um, I have a role to play in in working with uh, the learner to create a
1: stimulus uh, which provides a moment of potential for learning. And sometimes that stimulus, whether that be a question, whether that just be listening and pausing and, and silence, or whether that be um, providing an opportunity for coaches to see themselves in action through audio, video feedback. Um, Sometimes that stimulus can be quite disruptive, um, but of course the vulnerability that I experience, frequently continue to experience, is not knowing whether that stimulus will be disruptive or not, and, and how the person that I'm working with responds to that stimulus. Um, And I suppose that's another shift in my own work. But again, it's not my work. It's my work. When I describe my work and my experience, I'm describing my experiences with others. So my work alongside others, both coaches, but also colleagues that work in coach development work. One of the things that Andrew Gillett and I have been focusing on uh, with coach developers recently is uh, the difference between giving feedback and generating
2: feedback. And I suppose that's a nice way to, Um, um, exemplify that principle that I think as it is as as I understand it is attributed to Albert
1: Einstein I never teach my pupils I just create the conditions within which they can learn so
2: in that sense what might I be able to do whether that's to listen to be silent um, to ask a question to make some notes and to show those notes back, like a a verbatim,
1: capturing a verbatim sentence or quote from a coach with an athlete, um, to use video, but what can I do that generates the conditions within which um, a sufficient stimulus, coaches experience a sufficient stimulus that provokes curiosity, that raises questions, challenges but supports um, coaches to be curious about um, exploring new ideas, um, to consolidate and make sense of things that they do, why they work the way in which they do, and to explore alternative ways of thinking and and acting and
2: and the potential benefits that they might have for them and their athletes.
0: No, a really useful, I think, exploration of of what though what it feels like in those situations and how you've probably navigated that and you know really uh grateful for you you know even showing your own vulnerability that it's it's iterative for you your practice is changing and evolving um and you know we'll con- continue to do so as you work with more individuals and with more colleagues and and think about the work that you do um I- i'm wondering just as a as a finish to the session you know you have probably a, a, one of the the greatest range of experiences, probably across the country, in terms of working with with coaches from a variety of different sports and doing field work from on a boat with sailing to on the side of a football pitch with uh, with the FA. Um, I'm wondering if you could just share some of your some of the lessons that you've learned from field work. So one of the things that Andrew mentioned in a in a session around observation was a plastic bag and gaffer tape being the most useful way of trying to waterproof your video equipment you know with the best one in the world the the 50 pound camera bags just just never seem to work well enough um what are the things that you've learned from being maybe uh you know uh, uh, on a boat on the water or uh you know trying to capture something from the side of a pitch or even just different environments that would be useful for possibly people to to hear about and to learn from yeah well if, if the sea state isn't very good and it's torrential
1: conditions overhead, d- just try not to lose your camera and tripod overboard, which um, is, is definitely a lesson learned. Um, it's, um, I mean, interestingly, I, I use kind of technology less and less in, in the work that I do. And in fact, depending on the duration of the, uh, the journey that I'm, I've traveled with an individual coach and some of the coaches that, that I've been supporting in Olympic sailing now, We've been working together for multiple years. um, And it's much less about day-to-day coaching episodes. It's much less about training sessions and and practice design and skill acquisition or behavioral strategies. And it's much more about negotiating squad dynamics around
2: selection time um, and um, uh, just their experience of their role.
1: within an Olympic program and the relationship that they have with other important stakeholders. Um, and so again, sometimes we can, we might, we might set out to do some work, which is very, um, which positions coach development as being by the side of the coach on the field or by the side of the pool or on the court, capturing the session and then using that as a, as a stimulus for reflection. um, what are the questions that emerge? And then let's build projects around that. So we've, we've developed some curiosity by unpacking your session. Um, what what are those questions that we're curious about? And, and if we don't know between us, then let's find out together. So, of course, thinking about coach development in that way, yeah, it lends itself to some kind of practical, I suppose,
2: lessons learned. Um, on that level i suppose i've always just found that
1: being as close to the environment and being as close to um if you like the interactions between coach and athlete is really important for me so but actually being removed is also really helpful so uh, which is pretty difficult to do on a rib on the on the ocean because there isn't that much se- you can't create that much separation unless I was being dragged in a dinghy boat behind, which actually they've never suggested but might 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 choose to. Um, but of course, in in, in a sport like uh, field hockey, um, you could wear a radio mic and I could be away and up in the stands and, and still be hearing the interactions between you and the athletes. But of course, I'm not hearing the interactions between other athletes that are some distance away from you. So, of course, there's a trade off then, isn't it, really? Because you might then decide, well, I want to be pitch side and I want to be in and amongst it. But of course, then you are, depending on how familiar people are with you, um, you're obviously going to have an effect on the environment and the way that people um, behave because of your presence. And so I suppose in the earlier days, I was mindful of those kinds of things, like where do I position myself? Um, and if I'm going to capture this session using video, where might I position myself in the camera in such a way that not only does it give me maybe things that I'm interested in, but is it helpful for the coach? Because frequently I'll work with coaches that don't have an analyst. And so if I'm going to be here capturing the session, is there a useful angle from which I can shoot? Um, but more latterly, I've, again, much of my work um, is beyond, if you like, the boundaries of the pitch Uh, whether that be in training and competition again acknowledging that really important principle that um coaching doesn't just take place on the field or on the court um but coaching is all of the interactions and experiences that coaches and athletes have together um in in many many different space and place um contexts and so i just tend to hang out really and And always have a notepad and always have a pencil or pen and just observe and notice things and capture things. Um, And I try and capture things with sufficient detail that um, when we play it back or when I offer it back as an observation, that it's it's going to provoke recall for the coach. So the coach um, hopefully would remember having that conversation with their colleague in the corridor an hour and a half earlier that day, but the words that I offer back as a reflection then to explore, the, you know I, know, I heard this earlier and I was really curious, that I, it's important that I capture their nouns rather than <laughs> overlaying my nouns into that story because um, those um, are likely to resonate much more powerfully with them and, and, and potentially are a much more um, powerful source of, or stimulus in terms of their own reflection and reasoning. Um, so, yeah, practical tips. I'm sorry, I don't feel like I can offer really many other than, of course, there are the obvious things like
2: um,
1: ensuring that the batteries are charged the radio mics, because inevitably what happens is you, you get back from the day or wherever you've been and then you realise that there was no audio or, or you haven't got the two mics synced into the right radio frequency channels or um, but, yeah, I think less and less of my work now um, is about that, and more of my work is is just about noticing things, listening, and trying to capture uh, multiple forms of data. So a big part of which, actually, Andy, is, is noticing what's going on with me, so being aware of how I'm making sense of what's happening here and what's unfolding in the environment. And I think
0: those... Not everybody listening to this uh, you know is is able to use video or have access to video, so I think just listening to the ways in which we can generate data that's useful for coaches and then can generate meaningful dialogue between a a support person whether they're called a coach developer or not and the coach they're working with that might be as simple as a notepad and a pencil um, but but your points about uh, detailed record of of what has been said and who's been said to stimulate that recall I think that's the crucial bit Um, and I think that's it's really useful um, advice for people setting out on possibly working with coaches it doesn't have to be complicated and costly you know we can generate some fabulous data to work with and some which will hopefully stimulate some brilliant discussion with coaches with with as simple as a you know, a pad and a pencil, and and being open to uh, all of the different environments in which coaching is happening, um, and considering that before you go and work with a coach, you know, where is coaching going to be happening today? Is it in the is it in the briefing? Is it as players arrive? What's happening afterwards, as well as what's happening for the you know hour ninety minutes of the session? So I've there's there's so much great advice there, and so much detail in. In um, what we've probably covered in around about an hour's worth of conversation, which has flown by. So, Bob, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day today and, and sharing your world and, and your journey. Um, uh, hopefully, it will be a great listen to people who've uh, who've t- taken the time. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me along.
1: Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be
2: active and improve. We can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.